0: If this is your first time, um, there we go, the old room back, uh, welcome to bring a friend to RUF night, Bath, Baf, I guess that's what we're calling it, um, really glad you're here, we got some hot and ready's out of the way, would love for you to stick around afterwards, my name is Sammy by the way, if I've never met you before, if it is your first time, I'm the campus minister here, and I'm uh, just really glad we're here, part of what we want to do tonight is just say, hey, we're here for you, like we exist in USC, for both those who are convinced and their faith in Jesus, and for those who maybe are asking questions and are a little bit skeptical and not super convinced. And uh, we want to be a safe place where you can come and process, and that's what we're all about, so thanks so much for coming. If you've been with us, you know we've been doing this series called Simply Jesus, where really all we're, what we've been doing is starting in Genesis, and we're working our way this semester uh, to Revelation, talking about how all of Scripture points to Jesus. And tonight is one of my favorite. We get to the book of Hosea, and we're going to look at a passage from Hosea and think about Jesus from um, the life of Hosea and Gomer. So if you uh, want to follow along, send your handout, or you can follow along in your Bible. I'm reading Hosea 3, 1-5. to I'm going to jump right in. Here's what the book of Hosea has. Hosea 3, 1-5. And the Lord said to me, Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel... Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver, and a homer, and a leftock of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore, or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. And David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness in the latter days. So let me pray for us, and I want to kind of unpack what I think the Lord has for us tonight. Let's pray for us. So. Lord, we we do we praise you and we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you have given it to us because you love us, uh, because you you are a husband to your people, and your love for us is rich and your love for us is deep, uh, richer than we know, deeper than we know. And I pray tonight, however it is that we come, whether we come and we are. Um, loving you well, or whether we come and we feel keenly or we feel deeply our own own unfaithfulness. Um, Lord, I I pray that you would meet us in this place. I pray that you would uh, encourage us, lift our faces, encourage our hearts. And would you also at the same time, in the ways that we need to be um, rebuked, would you rebuke us, not to shame us, uh, but to heal us and to draw us deeper into your love. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. So you uh, can't really talk about the book of Hosea without thinking about marriage, and so I've been thinking about marriage today. And the idea of when it comes to marriage, I think typically all of us in this room fall into one of two places. Um, on the one hand, a lot of us fall into what we could call the category of the hopeless romantic. So some of us kind of come to college, and the goal is to find our soulmate, to find the one and maybe we've memorized every single Disney princess song, or maybe we've memorized every single line from every single Nicholas Spark movie ever made. Or maybe you even have the books, which is kudos to you, my friend. But we are hopeless, hopelessly romantic about the idea of marriage. We can't wait to be married. In fact, some of us, if we're being honest, believe that life really begins when you get married, when you start a, a family, when you, start, when you find that one, that person, that soulmate. And we secretly kind of believe that, and that's the category, one category that we can fall into. But then there's this whole other category that a lot of us, some of us, fall into. We get something called the disillusioned skeptic. Um, maybe you're deeply skeptical about marriage. Um, maybe your walls are pretty high, and that could be for a number of reasons. It could be because you watch, like in my case, uh, uh, my parents' marriage crumble, or maybe you saw a marriage, and you're. It's one of my favorite questions ever. Coffee is like, do you want a marriage like your mom and dad's? And There are very few of you that say, yes, I want a marriage exactly like my mom and my dad. Or maybe you're just so, you so value your independence that you're kind of afraid, like marriage is this far-off thought and this far-off country that maybe it'll happen one day, but you're not looking for it anytime soon. And here's the thing, though. Whether you fall into the hopeless romantic or whether you fall into the disillusioned skeptic, here's the thing that neither one of us would say, which is that marriage doesn't matter. That it's not this powerful thing a powerful force in the life of people. Uh, just today, like my wife, she is uh, a big reader. She's like a voracious reader. And so she's been reading this book, A Man Called Ove, which is, I think, a kind of current uh, fiction book. But today she was trying to explain to me this beautiful scene where a man is missing his wife, And even as she's explaining it, she just starts just like like hard crying. And it's one of those moments where I guess the husband, I'm not sure what to do, like the embrace, or do I let her have her moment? I let her have her moment. Because undoubtedly she's thinking about she wants, to, you know, there's something going on there where she's like watching this husband love his deceased wife. And like she wants that in our marriage. I'm like, I'm failing you in that. So it's one of those awkward moments. But marriage is a powerful thing, right? Marriage is this powerful force. And this is what the book of Hosea is all about. God is showing us something through this marriage. And uh, let me say this outline that, I've, that I'm working through tonight. We're going to do three points like a good Presbyterian. And it's an outline that's not unique to me. I've gotten it from people that are much smarter than me. But three things I want you to see that God wanted his people to see and wants us to see about the book of Hosea, what it's about. Three things. First, our relationship with God is like a marriage. Second, our relationship with God is like a bad marriage. And then lastly, what God has done to heal his marriage. So first, our relationship with God is like a marriage. So there's a strong chance if you grew up in the church, you're familiar with this book. If, you're, if you didn't, this is it's a beautiful and weird story. God calls this prophet Hosea, and he says, I want you to go marry this woman named Gomer. And so he does. And uh, as he comes to get into relationship with her, I think the first simple thing that God is showing people is that this is what the relationship with his people is like. It's like a marriage. He's like a husband. They're like a wife. It's like a marriage. Let's think about that for a second. What is, what is a marriage when you really think about it? Well, it means three things. I think that are kind of, we know, they're common sense when any of us think about marriage. Number one, it's supposed to take priority. Like, when you're single, there's not any one relationship in your life that takes ultimate priority. Right Unless you're an incredibly codependent person, welcome to the club, let's hang out and grab coffee because we do that in friendship sometimes, but we know that's kind of not the way that it's supposed to be but when we know we kind of in- intuitively know that when, when someone when, you know a man and woman get married that's supposed to take the highest absolute highest priority that that relationship, no matter what that person, that relationship comes first um, I learned this the hard way or one of my lowest moments in this was I was doing our UF at Georgia Southern. That's where I was five years before I came here. And I had this moment where I had these guys that really wanted me to play intramural basketball with them. So I was like, all right, I played a little basketball in high school. I'll get out on the court, you know, show show them some stuff, show them some moves. I put on about 20 pounds at that point, so I wasn't quite as quick as in my high school playing days. And it was a struggle, but we made the playoffs. So there's this moment where we make the playoffs REF is full that week. We have an intramural game and like Wednesday night by one night home. My wife at the time, we have two little kids, one on the way, a bun in the oven. Is that how you say that? Yep. And uh, and she says, I really need you home. So I told the guys, hey guys, I can. I'm not going to show up to the championship game or the playoff game. My wife needs me home. And they're like, what? That's so lame. Bro, you are part of a team. You show up. And I was like, all right, guys, I'm going to go play, which is mistake number one. Mistake number two was I go up for a rebound. This is like the worst sprained ankle I've ever had in my life. And I'm talking like sprained it hard to the point where I realized I'm going to be on crutches for a while. So I go home and tell my lovely wife that not only did I not listen to you and make you a priority. Also, I've got a sprained ankle that's going to put me out for a couple weeks. Can't really help so much with these toddlers running around. And you can imagine that she was less than thrilled with me. Why? Because she said, I'm not a priority to you. You're not in that moment making me a priority. And part of what God is saying is part of the question for us tonight. Is your relationship with God a priority? Does it take highest priority in your life? Are you are you willing to fight for it? Are you willing to give it time and attention? So first, is marriage supposed to be a priority? Second, marriage is supposed to be a place of deep, rich intimacy, right? That's a word that that I love. It's kind of an awkward word. But the idea is supposed to be a place that is deep, close, Joyful fellowship face-to-face intimacy. And this is one of the biggest draws. This is part of why some of us come to marriage and we long for it because we can't wait for someone to know us through and through and still love us and still want to be with us and still not turn away from us. That's the gift of marriage. That's the draw of marriage. As someone who's committed to you, no matter what, there's this really weird scene in the movie, Saving Private Ryan. This one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema history where maybe you remember, it's, it's toward the end where they, uh, Tom Hanks's character, Matt Miller, has, they've found uh, Private Ryan and they're just trying to make it home. And there's that scene toward the end where he says, part of how you're going to make it home is you're going to have, you got to think about the faces of your brothers who have done this for you. Think about why you're fighting. Think about why you're living. And he says, I have my own memories of my wife in the rose garden. And then in this weird kind of, it's a, kind of a throwaway scene almost where um, Matt Damon's character, uh, Private Ryan, says, will you tell me about it? And he says, to Tom Hanks, like, calmly says, no, no, that one I saved just for me. What's he talking about? He's talking about a moment of deep intimacy that even if he wanted to tell someone about it, he couldn't. And every time I see that, there, part of what God is saying is, do you have that kind of relationship with God? Where there are moments where it's just, another way that we say it sometimes, have, is your relationship with God tender? Are are there moments that are full of joyful, deep, rich intimacy that's just for you and the Lord? Or is it, are you more like me where it's more slavish or God's more like a boss and you kind of keep him at arm's length? Or is it, is your relationship with God marked with intimacy? And then the last thing about marriage that we have to see or how our relationship with God is like a mirror. The third thing is it has incredible power. What I mean by this is, this, this is a, a friend said this, and I like the way he said it, he said, when I preach a sermon, this happens to me all the time, when I preach a sermon, there's a profound difference if, if, between if someone that's just out in the congregation comes, comes up to me afterwards and says, man, that was awesome, you knocked it out of the park, that was great. It means something. It doesn't mean nothing. But it means so much more when my wife says those very same things. When she says, Sammy, I've heard you preach 200 times, maybe more. And I want you to know that was incredible. was incredible." It, 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 there is a, a power about the way that person sees you because they know all your stuff, right? The power of that is they've been with, like, they know you. Like, you don't know me. Like, you know me, but you don't know know me. Like, you don't know how to do toothpaste, right? I'm weird with toothpaste. I'm a squeeze in the middle guy. <laughs> and I hate myself for it because <laughs> I know I should be a roll from the bottom guy. I mean, you don't know how I, you know, like, my wife knows me. And there's a power in the way that she sees me and vice versa. And that's part of what God is saying to his people, to us, is, is to say, like, are you living, striving to be seen in a certain way? Or do you rest insecure rest securely in how God sees you? That He we're gonna to get to the sweet parts, but that He knows you and He really does love you, that He sees you and He really does love you. Or are you striving insecurely to be seen, to project a certain image? So our relationship with God is like a marriage. But the second, this is where it gets harder. Our relationship with God is like a bad marriage. Because chances are, if you're like me, when you think about those things, you think, oh, okay, maybe I'm not doing doing a great job in my marriage. Or second, our relationship with God is like a bad marriage. So then we pick back on our story. The the important thing that I haven't mentioned yet is you probably know, if you know the story, that Gomer, in in Hosea 1, God basically says, you're going to marry this woman. And it's not clear if she's already in a life of living as a prostitute, living unfaithfully. Or if it's clear that she's gonna become incredibly unfaithful. And that's where we get in, in chapter three is she has left she has been, whether however she was when Hosea married her, she has proven herself deeply, deeply, deeply unfaithful to him. She's left him. So she brought two kids into the marriage, they have a child together, they're making a life together, and then she just leaves Hosea and goes back into the life, into the arms of her former lovers. And it's a devastating blow, obviously to Hosea. And you can imagine Hosea saying, God, what are you doing? Like, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for this. And yet, part of what God is saying is he's showing, not just Hosea, but he's showing us people that we are like Gomer. It's really simple, and yet it's really profound. That we have other lovers. That we do leave the arms of God and go after all kinds of other things, right? We, we go after all kinds of other things. The last thing about today is, no doubt you've seen that meme that's going around. I guess everywhere, at least on Twitter. It's the meme of the guy and his girlfriend are walking down the crowded city street. You know what I'm talking about? And, like, the guy has his neck turned around, and he's, like, staring at this girl that's just walked by them and sort of has the creepiest look on his face. And then then the face of his girlfriend is looking at him, like, shocked, outraged, creeped out, disgusted. And I was thinking, like, that is the meme of Hosea, right? Except this Gomers, in this case, is the guy where she is going after all these other lovers. And she's deeply, deeply unfaithful to her husband, Hosea. So the question for us is, what are the other lovers that tempt you away from the love of God? What are the other lovers that, that tempt you away from the faithfulness and the love of God? Here are a couple I was thinking about. Some of you have a love affair with love. And I don't mean like biblical love, like 1 Corinthians 13 love. I mean like the cultural idol we call love, romance, whatever we want to call it. What that is for some of you is you really do believe that you are nothing unless you have the attention and affection of another guy or girl. Like you are nobody. If you're not noticed, if you're not dateable, if you're not marriage material, then you feel worthless. And you're wrapped up in the arms of This false lover that can't give you what you really want. And you're living for the affection and attention of this other sex. And you don't know who you are without it. Second one I was thinking about: some of you have a love affair with lust. Uh, The way that you feel that rush of of tasting the forbidden, that, that rush of living for momentary pleasure. Is how you handle stress. It's how you handle sadness. It's how you handle kind of life. And you're really, if you're being honest, not even sure who you are without it. You're not sure what you would be like. And you're terrified of giving it up or even admitting it to others. And then others of you have a love affair with your resume. This is the best way I could think about it. You have a love affair with your your resume that if you can just do all the right things, maintain the perfect GPA, cozy up to all the right professors, Network with all the right successful people, just you know, put that perfect resume together, then you will know you're successful, then you will feel worthy, then you will feel like you have value. But you really know this that this making community friendship is killing any chance you have of community or friendship, not to mention trusting God to be in control. That's kind of a big deal. Like, we can say our theology, you know, we have our. What we say is our theology, and then we have our lived theology. And if this is you, you are you. You can say all the right things about God is in control, God is sovereign, Amen. I'm good. I'm a good, reformed person. I'm a good Christian, and yet the reality of your heart is it is going after the lover of having the perfect resume. And God is saying through Hosea, this we have to see, is that he he refuses to have a, a fake marriage. He's not going to settle for for a crappy marriage. That he is so committed and relentlessly after your heart. And that's the last thing I want you to see. I want you to see how what God has done to heal his marriage. What God has done to heal the marriage that he has with his people. So if you don't pay close attention, uh, the text implies this incredible scene where God comes to Hosea. And he says, okay, Gomer's gone. And, and this is where like, I think, this is where even I was struggling with the text today. Where like, I was envisioning myself counseling Hosea. And I think what I would have done is sat him down at probably Starbucks or IMac or somewhere, and be like, Hosea, have you heard of this book called Boundaries? It's a great book. Like you don't, you're better than this. Like you don't need to try to like let her go. Like God's in control. You know, don't worry about chasing down after her. Like just let her. She's obviously not. She doesn't want you. She's unfaithful. Let's work on, you know, trusting God with your story or the other things that some of you've heard me say. And that's not what God says. He says, go after her. Go take her back. Go make her your wife again. And here's the scene. I just want for a second for you to put yourself in in Gomer's shoes. Because here's the scene is basically Hosea goes to find her. And he goes to the part of town that she has been, she's in this desperate situation now where apparently she has gotten to a place where she has something apparently like a pimp who is, you know, whoring her out. And it's gotten so bad that I guess she she is so useless at this point. she's been so used and abused that she's up for she's up on the trading block. she's up on the slave the selling the slavery selling blocks. And so put yourself in, in, I want you to put yourself in Gomer's place for a minute because here most likely she's owned the trading block, which means she's been stripped and she's being bid for. And just put yourself in, in her shoes for a second. Imagine that here you are, you're, you're naked, you're stripped, you're ashamed. Everyone is, is, is seeing you and all of your nakedness and all of your shame. You're, you're tired. You're, you're probably hungry, and yet you are eaten up with shame. You're dirty, and you long for a bath, and yet you feel so dirty that you're not sure all the baths in the world could ever make you feel clean again. You're, you're naked and men are gawking at you and you feel so worthless because they don't want you. You're literally being sold and you feel so worthless. And the, your body, the one thing that maybe you had going for you, isn't working anymore. And you feel absolutely worthless. And then the beginning, the bidding begins. And there's the first bid and there's the second bid. And then just put yourself in her shoes. And then this third bid, a familiar voice. The bidding continues, and then she hears the voice again and again, and it becomes clear who it is. It's my husband. What is he doing? Surely he's come to shame me. He's come to buy me back for revenge. I have publicly shamed him, right? I have publicly destroyed him. I've publicly embarrassed him. I've I've broken his heart. Surely he's buying me back for revenge. And you can imagine, just put yourself in her shoes, you can imagine the, that feeling of what is he going to do. Then he comes, he, he, he wins, he, he, he buys her back, and he takes her home. And it's the complete opposite of what she thought it was going to be. Right? He does, he does, he, he most likely washes and cleans her and binds up her wounds. And then he says, we've got a lot to talk about. This isn't a Disney movie, right? That's why there's a reason there's not a Disney Hosea movie. We have, a lo- we have a lot to talk about. But I want you to know that I'm, I am in this to love you. I am in this to still be your husband. I'm not just passive-aggressively taking you back so I can like take out all of my passive aggression on for the rest of your life. I am in this thing to be your husband and to love you like a good husband, and God is saying through Hosea and through His love and taking Gomer back, it's just a small picture of His love for you and me, right? And we, we you know, this this is such a softball. Like it, it was costly; it cost Hosea literally a, a, a no small amount of money to go and win Gomer back. But when the Lord decided He was, it was time to buy us back it cost jesus far more than a, than a little bit of money it cost jesus his life and yet he didn't do it to say aha now you sinners i've got you I've got you in my grip it's time for the revenge to start what does he do literally scripture says he washed you and makes makes, makes us clean by his wounds he heals and speaks to our wounds he binds them up he's come to love us out of our sin, not to shame us out of sin, to love us out of our sin, and to take us home to be with him forever. This is the kind of love, maybe you've never heard of Jesus in this way, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you get to hear it. This is, this is the message of the gospel. That Jesus, in all of our whoring, is the way the book of Hosea says it, in all of our unfaithfulness, in all of our sin, in all of our, in all of our idolatry, and all of the ways that we have gone astray from the love of God. He has come to bring us back, to wash us, to bind up our wounds, to forgive us, and to, by his grace and by his love, absolutely transform every part of our life and to take us home to live with him forever. Uh, I'll close with this. I was thinking about a friend who loves to tell the story um, of uh, a marriage that he he knows about, and the story is beautiful to me. Basically, there was a husband and wife, newly married, and the wife— she had a pretty sketchy past, brought that into their engagement. And so while they were engaged, she ended up in this affair with another guy. It kind of ended. Then they were married. And in, the, in their first year of marriage, she just got really convicted about it. They, they both belonged to Jesus, and she just decided, I can't. She, she was talking with a friend, the friend you know, sent her to a counselor, and they just basically said, it's going to be painful. I don't know what he's going to do, but you've got to tell him. You've got to tell him that during the engagement, you basically, you know, you were unfaithful to him. And so she finally works up the courage to tell him. And you can imagine she is scared to death. How in the world? What is he going to do? So he gets him from work. And she, you know, I'm sure she has you know, something for them to kind of eat. And then she says, all right, now is the moment. And she tells him. And he doesn't say anything. And he leaves. And she thinks, that's it. Knew, I, knew this was a bad idea. Knew this shouldn't have happened. Knew I should have never done this. And then about an hour or two later, he comes back, and he's got this bag. It's a gift bag. And he says, this is for you. And she pulls it out, and it's this bright white gown. And he says, I want you to know that I love you like God loves you. I want you to know that I see you as purely as God sees you in Jesus. Jesus. I want you to know that I forgive you. Yes, this is hard. Yes, we've got to work through this. Yes, we've got to talk about this. But I want you to know I forgive you like God forgives you. And I want you to know that I am as committed to you as God is committed to you in working things out. So here's what I want you to see. The love that you've been looking for. Your other lovers don't have it. I promise. But Jesus does. And he's come to buy you back. And he's come to take you home with him and to wash you and make you clean and to bind up your wounds and to take you to live with him and in his love forever. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would do that in our lives. Would you um, call us to repentance? The places where we belong to you, Lord, and yet we're straying. Would you call us home? Would you call us back to yourself? And Lord, if we've never known you, would you draw us into your arms? Would you show us that your love is real? But would you show us um, the ways in which your love is better than the other lovers that we've been running to? So, Lord, we need you to do this by your Spirit in us, and I pray that you would. We pray these things Lord Christ in your name. Amen. Stand one more time and sing with us. Closing hymn. All of you.